Hello and welcome to Miss Checkpoints, the video game book club podcast. Today we're discussing Grim Fandango. I'm your host Marcus and joining me today as always are the homies. First off we have Trevor. All my friends are dead. <laughs> and last but not least we got the homie Greg. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to have to switch that up now because that sounds weird to say first off then last but not least it's only two people. Um, come back soon Dante. Um... Well, let's get into Grim Fandango for the month of March. Uh, I don't know if you guys have missed us, but we decided um, scheduling reasons and just because we wanted to try to change it up. Um, we're going to just go through this entire game in one episode. So uh, there will not be a part two. This is the whole game. So make sure you have beaten the game or you don't care about being spoiled before you listen to this episode because everything is off on off. Ah, on the table. Um, so, uh, yeah, month of March, this is my game selection, so I will introduce the game. Um, Grim Fandango is a point-and-click adventure game directed by Tim Schafer, uh, uh, developed and published by LucasArts in 1998 by for Windows. The game was a Day of the Dead-themed adventure. It was pitched by Schaefer at the same time he was pitching Full Throttle, Full Throttle, which was another LucasArts adventure game that was released in 95. Uh, LucasArts accepted Full Throttle because it had a greater mainstream appeal, and after it became a hit, that paved the way for LucasArts to approve Grim, De- Grim Fandango despite its unusual theme. Development began soon after June 95, and it was LucasArts' attempt to rejuvenate the adventure game genre which was starting to decline. It's the uh, first adventure game to use 3D computer graphics on a pre-rendered static background. Um, the game was one of LucasArts' first to not just use or to not use the Scum engine. Instead, it used a hybrid of the Sith engine and this code uh, called Lua, which was created. And uh, when you combine those together, they created the Grim engine or Grime, and the uh, Grime redesigned controls and gameplay. So instead of point and click mechanics, a player could also use their keyboard or gamepad to play the game. Uh, it also in- included full motion video cutscenes to advance the plot. And um, yeah, uh, Lua is considered one of the ah this use of Lua in Grim Fandango is considered one of the first uses in gaming applications and would later go on to be used in a bunch of games, such as like World of Warcraft, Civ V, Crisis, L.A. Noir, Psychonauts, Bionic Commando, and more. Um, uh, original, or excuse me, uh, the game uh, Grim Fandango follows the tale of Manny Calvera, a travel agent in the land of the dead, as he becomes embroiled in a web of crime and corruption. It drew significant inspiration from the Aztec concepts of the afterlife and underworld, as well as Art Deco design motifs from the 1930s and 40s, and it has a dark plot that's reminiscent of the film noir genre. Um, Originally, the game was to be shipped in the first half of 98, but was delayed and eventually released uh, October 28th, 98, which was the Friday before November 2nd, which is the actual Day of the Dead. Um... Even with the delay, the team had to drop several puzzles and characters from the game, and Schaefer would later say that it would probably take one or two more years for them to be able to implement all their original design ideas. 
Um, despite the delays, Grim Fandango gained critical acclaim upon its release. Critics loved the art direction and soundtrack, and many outlets, including PC Gamer, GameSpot, IGN, and others, awarded it various forms of PC game, adventure game, or just straight-up game of the year. Um, many regarded it as the best adventure game ever created, and it is often listed as one of the greatest video games of all time. Despite the praise, the game was considered a commercial disappointment, not selling up to the expectations of the team, and led to LucasArts' decision to end the adventure game development. Uh, key members broke off in 2000, including Schaefer, which, as we mentioned last episode, went on to form Double Fine. And once they... Uh, I think LucasArts fully ceased uh, production of two Sam and Max games in 2004, and there were many of that remaining team left to form Telltale Games. So there's a little bit of a, a, a what do you call it, um, DNA uh, from LucasArts into some of the Is more... Is that how uh, Telltale was formed? Yep. Wow. Um, no idea. There's a lot of DNA in this game, dude. Like, people that either worked on this game or, like, it, it just... it's This game branches out into a lot of things. Um, in 2014, uh, with the help of Sony, Schaefer Studio acquired Grim Fandango's license following Disney's acquisition and closure of LucasArts in 2013. Uh, on Cinco de Mayo of 2015, Double Fine released a remastered version of the game, which I'm assuming is the version that we all played, and it had uh, improved graphics, controls, an orchestrated score, and an added director's commentary. And a Switch port was released on November 1st of 2018. So that is my introduction. Um, I will start with you, Trevor. Um, I know you're an adventure game player, but uh, is this what is your background with point-and-click adventure games? Um, so I've played some of the earlier um, Telltale games. Um, like salmon max like where where does the line where's the line drawn at point and click because does do you necessarily have to play it on pc in order for it to be point and click i don't think so i don't think you have to but i think that it like i i haven't played salmon max and i don't want to like talk out of my butt but i do feel like if it was designed to be played on console, then it's not a point-and-click adventure game. <laughs> that seems pretty, you it's know? It's still adventure games, I guess, right? But just the... Well, so click. I have the definition of a point and, or the Wikipedia um, definition is um, a point-and-click adventure games are those where the player typically controls a character through a point-and-click interface. And... Uh, Though there are additional control control schemes that may be available, so like I think the main thing is they have to click to move their character around. You interact with NPCs, which you do in all adventure games. Um, usually, there's some type of conversation tree. There's an examination with objects, um, and uh, I think they were saying many of the older games include collecting items to have an inventory and figuring out when and where you use an item. That's all. I feel like, uh, wasn't one of the first point and click games to come to, uh, like consoles, like the strong bad games. The, I don't know if I'm like, I don't even remember that game. So what is this like early the, telltale? Yeah. 
That was like on the Wii. Well, that makes sense though, because you can. I mean, at least with the Wii, you can point, right? Yeah. You can move it around. Because I'm thinking, like, what what are we can like? Walking Dead is not a point and click adventure game, right? Not by technical definition, no. It's just I, I, to me, it's just well, like a, it's an adventure game. It's not a point and click. It's yeah. just an adventure game. Or, you know, like so. This game reminded me a lot of um, Telltale's Back to the Future game. I never played that one. Yeah, me neither. I heard that it, one was it, butt. <laughs> it plays almost well. I guess that's what <laughs> Greg's. <about. laughs> I was gonna say it plays almost identical to that game. Um, just like the. I guess it's not exactly static the way this game is. Like this, this is probably the most static point-and-click adventure game I've played. That might be. The um, the distinction there is like once you move to a, another room or screen, it's like a, a static background. Well, that's the um, the not the point and click aspect. That's the um, their three D rendering, and that's just a, I think a sign of the times or whatever. Because I'm I'm just yeah. thinking like I'm trying to compare it to the only Telltale game that I've played is the Walking Dead series. And I'm just trying to think, like, one of the things in this game is it seems like you can never advance the plot through the story or through dialogue. You have to advance it by using an item. Yeah. And I don't know if in Walking Dead, if that's the case in every situation like it is in this game. And maybe that's a difference, but that could be just like a, a design decision, too. There might be, like, maybe one or two scenarios in, like, in that game where... You may have to do something like uh, need a specific thing to get through a, you know, section. I think something to break a lock to open a door or yeah. something like that. And I think but, um, Back to the Future and probably some of the other early Telltale games may be like the the missing link between like the Walking Dead style of adventure games and Grim Fandango style of point and click adventure games because rather than Rather than inventory items, you're more so collecting information in that game. Like you have to talk to somebody to to get, you know, specific knowledge that you can use in order to get to the next point. Yeah, yeah. And and like kind of, I guess to to kind of touch on, I guess my background for like adventure games. So the only thing that I've played previously was um, whatever Sam and Max game came out on. 360 uh, while on Xbox Live Arcade. I played a little bit of that and uh, I kind of found myself getting stuck pretty easily in that game and I think I just ended up like bouncing off it. Um, I ended up finishing season one of The Walking Dead and I finished uh, what was it? Life is Strange. (laughs) Oh yeah. There you go. That's another one too. I almost forgot. Life is Strange. And then Tales from Borderlands, so I think those are the only ones that I can recall playing. Uh, for me, the only... I mean, I've, adventure game-wise, it's only Life is Strange and Walking Dead, but as far as point and click, the only one I've ever played is Mist. And I played that as a kid in daycare, and I was absolutely trash at that game, and I didn't even get through the beginning because it's much like this game uh it's just from a different time and 
I was not <laughs> uh, equipped enough to be able to play that game back then, and uh, there's like no, ob- like almost no objective. It's a lot of just figuring things out. And you weren't um, built for this. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Mist would be the only one. I think I've maybe probably played in my life probably about eight hours of Mist, and I've never gotten past the first five minutes of the game. So, like, I've literally been on that. I don't even know if it's, like, everything takes place on that first small island, but I've literally just played on that island for, like, eight hours of my life. So... It was one of those games as a kid I always wanted to play, but I just never ended up It looks so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I never got to see any of it. <laughs> um... So yeah, uh, let's let's get into this game, man. So I'm I'm assuming we all played the remastered, not the original. Yeah. Um, what did you guys play on? I uh, played on PS4. I played on Steam. Did you use controller or did you use a uh, keyboard and mouse? No, I used keyboard and mouse. And yeah, and I played specifically only a mouse because I know there is an option to like use key bindings, but I only use the mouse. Oh, uh, so I use. Uh, the mouse to move, but then when you go to... The, I would hit the buttons to get into the inventory, and I'd hit the button to select whatever item or whatever. Um, so I wonder if some of the frustrations I was having with movement in that game just kind of stem from uh, playing on pad or... So, I just want to ask the very first thing. When you guys started the game up and started moving around, were you like, yo, I gotta walk all the way across the screen, and bruh. he's just like kind of st- strolling? Bruh, yeah. I almost quit. <laughs> I was like, this can't be this this can't be this experience, right? I can't. Like, there's no way. When, when you first leave the um, like the office building, and you go all the way across the street. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, so I don't even know why that game doesn't default to running is like the stand. Like I don't. What? So you, I want to say like. It made me, because I, I think it's mostly because now I'm playing, or I had just played a different game, but it was almost like everyone's gone to the rapture, like a walking sim. Like, that was the speed you were going, and I was like, yo, how do you speed up? And I was thinking, like, I couldn't find any confirmation, but I I was like, man, what if, like, they, they added this run in the remaster? Like, what if you just didn't have that option in the original game? I couldn't imagine. But like, I was like, there's no that. way this game would have been considered so good if that was the case. But um, wh- how did you... I mean, I ended up finding out you just had to double-click for PC in order to sprint or whatever. What did you have to do on controller? It's like R1 you have to hold in. But it's, it's it doesn't make sense why... Again, I just don't get why it's not standard to just have them run because... Very few times in this game do I think you need the precision of just walking. Like, it just doesn't seem like it. I think it's, like, pseudo, like... Remember in Gears of War when you would be on your... Getting information and you would just be strolling, hearing all that dialogue? I think, like, if you could run all the time... Or if that was the default, then you would skip out on a lot of dialogue. If Or you would be running to the edge of the screen mashing the next, you know, to get to the next panel, but the dialogue is still going on, and you could either skip dialogue or they could say, no, you can't go until you finish listening to this, so it, I feel like there's, this was the best they could do. This game I guess, came but... out before um, um, Psychonauts? 
Yeah, this yeah. game... So this game, they started working on this game in 95. This game came out in 98. Psychonauts came out in 2004. I think and they started shows. working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I take it you guys don't like this game? Oh, I, I have a, uh, a strong hate for this game. Strong this, hate? Hate? Yeah. So you know how you felt about Ninja Gaiden? Oh boy. <sighs> okay. That's kind of how I feel about this game. Get that same energy. <laughs> what about you, Trevor? How you feel? I don't think this game did enough for me. That's a nice one. Is, is this Trevor the Diplomat? <laughs> <laughs> like, I like adventure games, but stylistically, okay, I thought the... Okay, there were two different ways this game could have gone in order to like make me a fan. Should One, we talk about how the game went before we talk about how it could have gone? Well, I'll I'll kind of <laughs> I'll kind of lead into that. Okay, okay, okay. So, like you said when you were describing the game, it it is heavily inspired by like noir um I guess more so the cinematography, the the, yeah, the storyline. Um, I don't think it it uses enough of that inspiration in the game. Like it's not like a it's not one of those games where it started a, a movement in noir games or something like that. You know what uh, I mean? It's it, it's kind of loosely inspired by noir. I mean, sure, but like that was just one of the three kind of design elements that they took, and I, I I felt like they did a really good job of paying homage to the all the different influences that they had, and I don't necessarily think that they had to inspire other games to go down that route in order to be successful. I I think it just lost some of its. It's cool factor by not attempting that. Do you feel... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't... I'm not sure how much you needed or how much you are asking for personally, but I think it had more than enough noir. Like, I mean... I, I think as far as the writing, too, I think the writing was a little bit more comedic, but mm-hmm. there could have been instances in the game where it leaned a little bit more into into the noir style what so what what specifically are you because like i can name i I actually uh i watched la confidential like maybe a night or two ago which was a late 90s movie that was set in the la in the 50s cops and corruption and all this stuff and there is a whole lot of parallels that I would draw, even though that game, or excuse me, that film wasn't out when Grim Fandango came out. Um, I think they said their influences were On the Waterfront, Casablanca, and The Maltese Falcon, which I have not seen any of those movies, but I know like at least Maltese Falcon and Casablanca are like considered like two of the top 100 greatest movies of all time, and... I feel like they did a really good job in the noir style films that I've seen to kind of mimic what they do in there. Okay, well, I'm not. I'm not saying 
that this game absolutely had to do those things. But I'm just saying that that would have grabbed my attention more if it focused a little bit more on that. Like, for instance, with the humor, I think they could have really capitalized on utilizing some of the noir tropes, like as far as dialogue um, and creating more of like a humor, like using some of the, um, I guess, making it more exaggerated. Like, I don't know if you've seen any, any cartoons. I know Bugs Bunny and, and other classic cartoons have done it where they kind of mimic the noir style and mm-hmm. exaggerate, especially um, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like that kind of stuff. Um, but this game didn't do that. Uh, but I don't want to spend too much time dwelling on what they didn't do. The other thing was um, I was expecting there to be more of a of a Hispanic presence as far as, um, I don't know, style. Maybe I was thinking too far, like guacamole. (laughs) Man, what is this guy talking about? (laughs) No, well, okay. I I meant as far as, like, Day of the Dead type. I mean, I feel you. This ain't Coco or, like, the Book of the Dead, but, like... Did you look at the architecture and like I mean I mean obviously okay I, I misspoke it does have that <laughs> presence and and I'm I don't have any place to say that it doesn't because I I have no Hispanic heritage but but the way it started it made me feel like okay we're gonna see some some luchadors we're gonna see um, <laughs> I mean I feel you but I mean that's that's Mexican heritage and not necessarily has anything to do with the Day of the Dead. Um, so like, I, like, I disagree with both of your points, but I, I, I'm trying to figure out like, I mean, obviously we play the same game, I hope, but, uh, I mean, it, <laughs> or do we? It, it was just, I had expectations of how this game was going to go and it didn't and go when, in like, either of those directions. Were you comparing it to films and like media, like movies and stuff kind you watch, of. or were you comparing it to other games? More so films. And do you think that's fair? Because like the 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 Day of the Dead and the nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, the Art Deco, that was like the design, like elements that they took, and it was the story from film noir. So like. I don't think seeing luchadors does anything for the noir style. You know? Well, I'm saying those two things separate. Like, I'm gotcha. saying, okay, at one point I thought it was going to go in this direction, but then there was more humor, so I was like, okay, so it's going to go in this direction. But it didn't go in either of those directions. I gotcha. So, um, for me, uh, I think the game does a great job of merging the styles together um there are plenty like like we said the um everybody in this game for the most part all the characters are these the kalaka figures um which are the types of skeleton figures you see um around day of the dead time uh every single day uh every single the, the game is divided up into years 
and you play a year in the uh, or excuse me, a day in the year, and each of the days that you play is the Day of the Dead. It's November fourth. Um, there's a lot of references to people crossing over, um, going over the, the the world you're in is the um, it's called the Land of the Dead, which is considered the eighth underworld and um it's almost kind of like a limbo situation because um everybody in the eighth underworld is trying to pass over into the ninth underworld which is the land of the eternal rest which you can be quote-unquote fully at peace and in order to get there um basically manny is a travel agent and uh, if you were a good person in your actual life, then it is easier for you to get from the eighth underworld to the ninth underworld. And um, people that uh, like, and because he's a travel agent, his job is to get people over to the ninth underworld. And so, like, the best deals are people like if they were really good, they get a golden ticket that they can ride this train that literally takes like four minutes it's called the number nine and it takes like four minutes to get from the gates from gate to gate and other people he has like they have to be boxed up in a casket and be shipped there and that could take years or some people do the trip on foot and then there's even people that are like lost souls where they decided like hey like um i'm not going to be able to or I, I believe it's a myth that the the ninth underworld is a myth. I've been in the eighth underworld so long that I don't even believe this is a thing. So I'm just going to make do and live here. And then there's also people that were bad people uh, or had a checkered past. Uh, Manny being one of them, and he was stuck and he had to pay off like some type of debt or penance in order to uh, basically go to the ninth world or ninth underworld. And um, so one of the cool things that I think this game does is, and maybe this is kind of maybe one of Trevor's hangups, is each year has like a certain vibe to it. So each year Manny has a different costume. So in the beginning, he's dressed up as the Grim Reaper because he's basically like, (laughs) I mean, he's helping people go from one world to the next. And so he's dressed as the Grim Reaper. And then later on, he gets a suit. And um, so he's walking around in a suit, and like that's uh, a lot of what he wears in the first year. And then in the second year, I I think he has uh, he has a white suit because he's like in charge of this business. It's a it's a gambling business, and so he's like a white suit, like you would see in like those old timey noir movies, you know. And then you can even see like characters in this game, like people that are head honchos or whatever. They have like some type of pompadour or some type of hairstyle that you would see uh, a lot of the the mannerisms it's not exaggerated and characterized like trevor was saying he had hoped but there are like references to the noir style as far as how people are dressed and their hairstyles and some of the dialogue um i don't think the game is quite as i think it's well written but i don't think it's as funny as some of the other games we played, like if I was to say Psychonauts as an example, I feel like this is like a. Like, how do you guys feel about the the voice acting in this game? Because I, I feel like it was in between 
how we split Psychonauts up into two parts where we kind of said like the first part was pretty childish and for me the second part was kind of humorous I kind of felt like this was right in the middle of that where it wasn't too kitty it was a little bit more serious uh, there was some goofiness in it but it was mostly due to certain characters and not necessarily overall vibe yeah I think the tone was a lot more natural in the voice actors yeah I think voice acting was fine it was just i guess for me just the writing didn't hit like it just didn't hit for me and i i, I can see that like this this game unlike like psychonauts because that's the most recent game we played and this game you had to talk to people and interact with them and uh some characters just weren't hidden for me even you know um the uh Another thing, uh, they used a, a ton of Hispanic voice actors in this game, and Hispanic Americans, and so a lot of people talked or spoke with an accent, and there was a lot of Spanglish thrown out in this game, and I thought that was really cool to like a kind of nod to the the Mexican elements that they were trying to appeal to or whatever, so I, I really did like that. A lot of like the locations, the Rubicaba, the El Moro, um, even like they're they're talking like not slang, but they're you know like throwing Spanish into their everyday or you know sentences and stuff like that. I thought that was really cool, and it doesn't like for me. It's not like what do they say or anything like that. It was just kind of like oh, these people are just being their their true authentic selves or whatever you know. Like, even the names Chipito and Manny and, uh, who was another one? Uh, Carla, Carmen, uh, Domino, Salvador, like, just, it was a a style thing, and I think they they pulled that part off. Um, I didn't even notice that until you mentioned that, that all of them had, like, Hispanic names. Yeah, yeah, um, Don Copal. It was Domingo, Manny Calavera, um, Olivia, Eva. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what was the boss's name, too? I forgot the boss's name. Uh, Maximina, right? Something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, and then, uh, trying to think of anything else that we need to hit on before we get into the story. Um, you got anything, Trevor or Greg? Mm, no, I think so. I'm, I'm gonna go on ahead and, and state this because I feel like whenever there's a game that I have a lot of negative stuff to say about, okay, I forget, I forget to say some of the positive things, okay. But I did enjoy this game, like, okay, despite it, you know, not meeting certain expectations. I don't think there's anything wrong with you, even if you. If you enjoyed playing the game but didn't like it or vice versa, if you didn't like the game and didn't enjoy playing it, I think that's completely fine. I I, um, I was just trying to figure out where your expectations were coming from versus, like, if it was, like I said, if it was a game, other games or other pieces of media like movies or books or something. Because um, I'm trying so, to think, like, it's it's not something that... I mean, the only game I can think of is when we played Psychonauts, right? That that one world? Well, I guess because I've played some indie games that kind of mm-hmm. take on specific cultures and 
they do it from a more heartfelt place where it's like actually trying to tell like a, a very specific story or or a story specific from to that culture yeah from someone's perspective in that culture uh-huh whereas this game seems like it's, it's more of just using it as a as a style and not necessarily trying yeah. to, to tell a story about that culture i think that is a key distinction is it's just a design choice or a style choice and not necessarily like we're telling we're being our true authentic selves like i think they getting hispanic american voice actors fantastic you know like allowing them to be them true their true selves and speak in spanglish and be able to throw out some words you know and have like entire settings you know like with a spanish name i think that's really cool yeah. Um, but, but I don't think it was like, we're going to tell the story of the land of the dead, you know, cause they didn't do that, but they use it as a design choice. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, well, yeah. So, um, I guess we can get into the actual game. Um, so like, like I've said, Manny, he's a travel agent. His, uh, main rival is this guy named, uh, Dom Domingo. I don't remember his uh, full name, Domingo. But um, basically, Domingo is this hotshot travel agent. He gets all the good clients, so all his clients are regularly going um, going on the number nine train to the uh, land of the eternal rest. And your characters are like a lot of people that are down on their luck and either. They were poor in the the real world, or they were bad people, and so like a lot of times you um, aren't getting the, I guess sales that you need to get, and you keep getting threatened to be fired by your boss Don Copal if you don't come up with better clients. So your fix for this is to steal a client from domino and so the client that you end up stealing from him and by stealing it means just showing up to the scene of their death before he does is um mercedes colomar aka meche and um she seems to be a very pious woman she didn't do anything bad in real life but for some reason she doesn't ring up as being eligible for the number nine luxury express train. So basically Manny kinds to, he, he's like, okay, go here and I'm going to look into it for you. And then he ends up finding out, um, that Domino and Don have been rigging the system to deny many clients access to the double nine, at, like denying them their tickets and basically hoarding them for, this major boss in the criminal underworld. His name is Hector Lamont. That's what his name was. Hector. And um, so then at that point, you are like, oh, I need to get Meche. And uh, she has wandered off. I think you had sent her to the petrified forest. And uh, at this point, um, you're trying to catch up with her to help her on her journey. And... Uh, that's when you start meeting other characters in the game. Uh, you meet Glottis, who's this driver, who's a demon. There are demons in this world as well. So he, unlike being uh, the Kalaka figure, he's more of like this giant hippopotamus-looking creature. 
Um, how'd you guys feel about like Glottis and like these? How did you guys feel about this opening section of the game? Like even stuff I didn't speak about yet, but like you know, like you're getting into the swing of things, like moving around and having to navigate and try to figure out how to solve this puzzle or not puzzle, but like how to just progress in this game with the item system. It uh, it didn't really give me like a great first impression, um, just because just the way that you have to navigate through the environment, just the the pace at which you move, the you know how finicky the game is with selecting things. Oh, again, this that could just be a me playing on console thing. I don't know, but just how finicky the game is with like you know selecting things. It just doesn't feel great, man. What about you, Trevor? It it didn't start off that well because it kind of just throws you into it. Like you start off in in Manny's office, and it doesn't tell you. You know, it doesn't tutorialize anything. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of like, okay, here you go. Move your mouse around until it it changes to let you know that's something you can click on. See, uh, that's the thing. I, I, you don't even get that on console. That, that you sounds just have harsh. To kinda, you just kind of just rub up against stuff and just press X <laughs> and hope that uh, you can interact with it, you know? Yeah, so th- I'm kind of echoing what Trevor said, but, like, yeah, one of my biggest things that I had to come to terms with with this game was I think the game looks gorgeous. Like these 3D characters on top of these kind of almost these static, like almost like painted like backgrounds look really cool, but it is really hard to see what you can and can't interact with. It was like, I, I, I really wish Dante was able to play this game with us because I remember some of his criticism of some like uh, enslaved was it was like it's so obvious what you need to do and where you need to go. It's like the game is being played for you, and I feel like this is the exact opposite. And it'd be like, be careful what you wish for, because this is like what Trevor said. You're just you know moving your mouse all over the screen to kind of see what changes, and and even then, like one of the things that I think it's a I think it's a testament that maybe games have gotten easier over the past 25 or what is 21 years. But no, not even 21. Yeah, yeah, 21 years. Um but even even still like I do think that like something simple like there's no objective, you know? Mm-hmm. And like it you don't like if you were to leave the game and come back like, you know, a next day or later in the like week. Like I did. And I did it too, where it just like, okay, where did I leave off, you know? And you don't have to like, you don't even like know, if you don't remember what you had to do, then you don't know what you need to do. Basically, it's it's as simple as that. Like, okay, I hop hop back in, what was I doing? And what do I need to do? The game doesn't even have an autosave. Like, that's just kind of asinine to me. Uh... I didn't have any troubles I'm, with glitches, not, but me neither. I but I, I've definitely heard of people having issues uh, with the game crashing and they hadn't saved by a certain point. And, and that was, <sighs> that, that's a part of my same comment from earlier um, when I was asking if this game came out before Psycho Nuts. It did because I ran into quite a few issues where um, 
I would get stuck. And and Marcus, you found this hint website, you know, that kind yeah. of you know, doesn't doesn't spoil anything but kind of gives you Spurs hints that you the, along. <laughs> the NPCs should be giving you. Mm-hmm. Um but even using that um, there were some instances where you would have to interact with an object or a person um, standing at a specific angle and I didn't yeah. find that out until like looking through the Steam community forums or, or some other site so you were thinking that you, you were stuck but in actuality your character was oh, no, in no, there were there were situations where I actually did get stuck Okay. And situations where, like, some of the cutscenes, um, or one of the cutscenes, um, my game crashed on me. So I don't know if that was the game or just my computer, but, um, but yeah, there were definitely some bugs in this game. And is there a quick save button on PC when you play? I mean, I know. I just escape and then, um, just save. And save? Yeah. Depends yeah. on how quick you can I was it. thinking. Maybe that was why that it wasn't in there, or like why they don't have a autosave. Oh, I have no idea if there's like a key bound to quick saving. Yeah, I don't know that. I just found it kind of annoying to have to pause and save. And, and, and granted, this this is like I mean, this is like a stupid kind of. That I mean, they're, they're all things that add up, you know, to the point of like I just. <laughs> Oh, minor inconveniences. I mean, yeah. sure. Like, I guess you. That, I don't think that's. It's not a detriment to the game. I, right? I think that's a, that's a knock against the remaster and not to Grim Fandango. Yeah, yeah. Because hey, if they they didn't the remaster didn't include that, but it makes sense to me why the original game didn't have that in. So it also yeah. makes sense to me. In a, in a sense, like, oh, yeah, they could have modernized that thing, but also, too, it could have been like, oh, we're keeping it true to the original. This isn't, like, it isn't a long game if we if yeah. you know what you're doing, you know? Yeah. But I I don't know. Like, I think I would, about pre- it. I would prefer to have a objective... Or, you know, what's your objective over a quick save? If I had to choose, obviously both would be yeah. better, but, like, I feel like that is a minor inconvenience in the grand scheme of things because it's not like you have to go to, like, a diary or a typewriter in order to save. You can save at any point. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of the thing, that, now that you're saying that, is just kind of, I think they were focused on just recreating that experience and bringing it to, like, a new generation of people than like trying to refine it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, if you if you, um, I imagine they it looks slightly better. But I found out like literally within the last two hours of us playing, at least on the PC, if you hit delete on your keyboard while you're playing, you can switch between the remastered version and the original version. And literally mm-hmm. on at least on year four. None of the backgrounds changed. It was only the character models. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, so I was doing that. I would just swap back in between because some scenes I felt like looked better with the with the sprites and not you know all cleaned up or whatever. 
Um, but yeah, the, so the backgrounds, the the resolution, and none of that changes. So that's all original artwork. The only thing that changes is lighting and the character. Model. The lighting got so much better, dude. <laughs> so much better. Like, yeah. like there were scenes where, like, when I was dressed up as um, uh, the Grim Reaper. You know, with the black hood on and everything, holding the scythe, and you literally couldn't even tell. Like, like it just looked like there was a shadow where my face was supposed to be. And then I switch it over to the remastered, and you can see that it's a skeleton head and everything. And it's like a way some of the more exaggerated characters, like um, uh, Hector. Uh, dang, what did I just say his name was? Hector. Le Mans and the way Gladys look, they look so much more blocky and weird looking um, in the old version compared to the remastered. So they definitely cleaned some of that up. And I, I it, it shames me because I didn't get to, I wasn't paying attention to the music the way I should have. So I'd be interested to know because apparently they had a or they had a orchestra do the music for the remastered version so to be interested to know how the original sounded in comparison uh but there's not really like a super standout track for me in this game Mm -hmm. yeah i'd have to agree um i yeah i had a single song that i wrote down so and i can't even think of it on the top of my head right now so um okay so um I guess basically that first year is, you know, you're sending Meche on her way, and uh, um, you are trying to, I think you're supposed to, you told her to go through the petrified forest and to get to Rubacava, and um, along your way you encounter Salvador Limones, or he's like the leader of this small underground organization, which is known as the Lost Souls Alliance, or the LSA. And they basically have uncovered the whole uh, helping the criminal underworld. Uh, they, they figured out Hector's plans, so they've recruited Manny because he's trying to uncover uh, or expose the, the, the crime boss as well. So they recover him as a, a person to help out. And uh, you eventually get to Rubicava, and you find out that you had beaten Meche there, so you have to wait for her to show up. Um, is there anything specific that you guys want to touch on with year one before we go to year two? Because there's um, one thing I didn't include, but I and I have to. I have to. I guess at this point, when at the end of year one, how do you feel about the game's uh, way that they... The, the puzzle solving element. I hate this game. I guess that's okay. <laughs> after but, year no, one, I think we need to go ahead. After year one, I was like, "This game is whack." Like, I was so. Fr- this was before I found the little hint thing. So, like, basically, what we because we're playing video games in 2019, you know, and there's so much more like just trial and error that's required to play this game that I that is a skill set that I no longer possess or maybe never possessed yeah. because I just wasn't really playing games like this in 98 you know I was playing platformers I mean you but, probably had it but it's just like this game just takes it to a level of just you know just ridiculous yeah where it's like okay like you have 10 items 
now you just got to figure out which one you got to use. <laughs> you yeah, know? And I, I think that was more so specific to the first year. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I noticed after after year one, it didn't throw so many items at you, and the um, the puzzles were a little bit more believable. It still didn't make sense, but... I mean, well, he, he said, yeah, he said it's the hardest in year one. Is what he's yeah. saying. You're like, you're you're immersing yourself in this world and in this mindset of playing this game. Kind still. of like, why why would I do that with these items? <laughs> I think why? one of the parts where I was starting to get just upset was the needing to find the balloons to uh, <laughs> to put the chemicals in, and it's just like, why would just why would I be going out there <laughs> to it just it didn't make sense like it just and even so okay <laughs> so, <laughs> so the part where you have to break the uh the messaging system or whatever yeah. it's called basically but so that part where you nomadic, go nomadic all the troubles I think yeah so you go through all the trouble of breaking it to get this guy to fix it and and then you're like okay he's gonna you know i'm gonna walk out and then i'll end up walking back in somehow and then it's like oh i did all this and for some reason you know i didn't you know i didn't uh mess with the uh the lock to keep the door from closing so now i gotta go do this all over again oh wow it's kind of like i was just like what why why would I know to look at the... I mean, I don't know. It's just not a thing that seems very intuitive, right? You think the thing is like, okay, well, obviously, I did this. That's all I got to do. And then I can, you know, look at this thing. Uh, look I, at the message I need. I think the fun in it, and I'm using air quotes for fun, is like, you know, like, oh, I, you know, like, oh, I figured it out. I solved the the puzzle. And okay, cool. And then you're you're they're they're pulling the the blanket over your head by saying like, oh, you solved the puzzle. And then you're like, okay, what do I do next? And then you find out, oh, there's something else that I need to do. And I think the fun in it is to try to figure out, okay, what's that other thing I need to do in order to fully advance to the next spot, you know? And just I I agree. Like I didn't have that issue because um, I had. I think at this point, I was full-on using a guide. Like, I hadn't found the hint site, so I felt like a piece of trash. Because, <laughs> like, I was using a guide. And the guide wasn't even that well, like, it, it, it didn't explain things. So it yeah. was just like, pick up, you know, get the the balloon. Or, like, get the... And it's like, where even is that at? You know, like, where do I need to go to do that? So it wasn't like it was like spelling it out, like what you need to do. But it was like, okay, I at least have the correct order of operations. I just have to figure out, you know, where this item is, where this item is, and all that stuff. Um, but the the part for me was, that was super frustrating was the actual, actual puzzle. Where you had to break that machine in the forest. Um, with oh basi- basically anything in the forest, I just hated. Um, oh yeah, that was pretty. Uh, like you, yeah. you basically have a wheelbarrow with four hoses or five hoses that are shooting to this machine, and in your homie Glottis is this heavy, like behemoth, you know, demon character, and he's hanging on the edge of the. Th- he's hanging on the machine because you're trying to loosen it to 
I think I think he's trying to fix his ride. He's like a mechanic and he likes to pimp his ride and make it better. And so like he wanted to get this part for his machine, so you had to part for his car, so you had to break the machine. And that puzzled was so frustrating. I had to look up a video on how to do it, and even when I looked up the video, I still didn't understand like I couldn't figure it out still. It it was so stupid. This game was made for people who bought like one game every four months or something like that. <laughs> that was yeah, I, I can't imagine beating this game in what was it, eleven hours? Like like how old was I? Like thirteen year old me would have taken like all summer to figure out this game. I was eight. <laughs> eight like, and and I think that that specific part of the game and a, a few other points are very typical of like a PC game from this era sure yeah where it's like we're saying it's completely just just mess around with it till you figure it out there's not even necessarily like a you don't even understand the device you're working on you know mm-hmm. and like it, it, it because this game i mean i think one of the things too i didn't even know what those things were those those hoses i didn't know those were hoses i didn't even know what you were doing yeah you know at tracks. the time because yeah, exactly. Because I was like the because the 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 way games look now <laughs> doesn't look like that. So it was just kind of like, okay, which of these tracks do I need to to? Because I was thinking I was blocking like electricity from flowing into this machine, and I thought that's what was happening. And the other part of it too is there's no lead up to some of the more difficult or not necessarily difficult, but puzzles that aren't as obvious as others like there's no lead up to it like you, there's nothing that you need to learn in order to progress to the next one and use what if, you learned in the previous one in order to pass if i'm on. not mistaken either like i think the cool thing is each puzzle it's fully unique to itself yeah and if i'm not mistaken you don't even like need to have like a specific item in order to pass the puzzles Right. Uh, some you do, well. The only one I can think of is, yeah. The only one I can think of is like later on in the game, and it's the you need the scythe. Yeah. Which is like you always have that on you, so it's not like oh I didn't find this one item in year three from this this. Lady. Oh, you mean like between years or like years or yeah? You, well, I'm saying yeah. like like. Obviously, you need to have the item to get to the point, but you don't need to, like, use an item to complete a puzzle. Like, use oh, it. Okay, okay. If that, that That's probably... Doesn't make any sense, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's not like... Once you get to the puzzle, you can pass the puzzle. It's not like you can't solve the puzzle. You can always solve the puzzle when you get to it. It's not like, oh, you need this thing in order to advance. Oh, And that's one thing I read about the game, too, is there aren't any points in it where you can get stuck. Like, every... Like, any time you get to a point in the game, you it's, like you said, a passable point. Um, well, th- and, th- what they mean is, like, you can't get past the point without an item right that you okay. need gotcha and i, I think like, they said they stuck <laughs> yeah i think they said that was an issue in the original game like at some points but they fixed it in the remaster 
Interesting. I wonder what. And maybe point that's it was. why they they didn't have. I mean, well, also, obviously, it was just kind of weird at the time. But it it makes sense to be like you could potentially put yourself in a game ending scenario, like a, a unbeatable scenario, and it's like you save, and it's like oh snap, like GGS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else for year one? Cool. I think that's it. Alright, so like for year two, so you're at Rubicava, and you've been there for a year now, so you went from being kind of like a travel agent to you're like, at this point now, you own your own nightclub, and uh, you uh, also have gambling, uh, illegal gambling in the basement of it, and uh, so you're like this this guy now, you're this guy, and um, basically you learn from Olivia Ofrenda that Don has been sprouted uh, for letting I didn't the even scandal... Know that was her last name. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Um, and <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this game, like, I don't know, man, I... I like everything around it. How about that? <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, so Don has been sprouted for letting the scandal be known and that Meche was recently seen with Domino leaving the port. So, at this point, you're like, well, shoot, I need to get on a boat and follow them. And you end up getting stopped by, I don't remember the guy's name, but he's a ship uh, captain. And he's like, oh, whoa, whoa, you can't hop on this boat until... Uh, this happens and this happens this happens so then that kind of um, uh, forces you to basically walk around uh, Rubicava and just get to know the people and try to complete these tasks that he's given you and um, I think this is the first and only time that you kind of have like clear objectives your, your objective is to um I think you need to have the bee. You need to have the bees give Glottis his tools, and you need to figure out what the deal is with the. Um, I forgot the guy's name. The skeleton or the the, the guy that's getting tattooed. That's supposed uh, to be on Naranja? his Naranja. Yeah, Naranja. <laughs> and um, yeah, so like you, whenever you go back to this guy, he's always saying he t- he basically tells you what your objectives are. And I think that's the only time in the game where you have like clear objectives. So if you were to leave and come back, you would know what's going on. But to me, this is the most noir-heavy chapter, or probably the, if not the most, the second most noir-heavy chapter in the game. Because I mean, it has the the costume. It has the. I mean, I feel like this is the most iconic. Iteration of Grim Fandango. Well, I was gonna say just him in the white, the white suit. Yeah. Like any time I've ever seen a picture of Grim Fandango, I think this is the one they use on the cover as well. It's him in this white suit. But yeah, they have the nightclub. They have the 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 the, the gambling. The the instead of dog racing or horse races, it's cat racing. Um, there's uh, um, a lot of drinking and corruption. Um, it even has, like, hints of, like, quote-unquote communism with uh, the way the worker bees are um, being held back. Um, uh, there's some other... I mean, they have, like, a freaking, <laughs> like, boss dude, like, with a blimp, and he's, like, running rackets. There's, like, a like a, 
a bar slash nightclub that has like it, it seems like a meeting ground for uh, other communist members. They have like poetry readings in there. Um, there's uh, the lawyer who's like there's there's like affairs going on because like the lawyer that works for the boss is seeing the boss's girlfriend on the side, and just there's a whole lot going on here and like it just this is the noir and for me and i was like beyond this like what else were you looking for trevor no this level is a i think a good example okay it was cool it was more so the rest of the game because usually noir is like has darker lighting uses a lot of um very exaggerated camera angles um and shadows and and this level you know of course being at night um you know kind of does all those things <laughs> hits all those points yeah definitely yeah. uh how did you guys overall feel about this year in Rubicava? because this was the i think this is the longest year in the game as well so you're here for a while so a pretty big area too yes very expansive like I, I know I got lost. There were a couple of times where, you know, one person would tell me to to go see so and so, and and I just wouldn't remember how to get to them. Because mm-hmm. it's just like you get to that one part where there's like a circle, um, and then you have like four branches of road, you know, coming out from it. Gotcha. Um. I don't know. Did it feel good? Like, for me, it felt good because I, to me, I was like, this is a really big area. Like, once you got the lay of the land down and if you were, like, sent somewhere, you knew how to get there. Did that feel good to you? Because it definitely felt good for me. Eventually, yeah. I, I think it was a little frustrating trying to get get an idea of where to go. I mean, once you did, you kind of figured out, okay, well, I remember this is how I got to get to where I got to get to. But, uh, yeah, at first it was probably a little annoying. Mm-hmm. The, um, what's the guy's name? This is, this chapter, since there were so many people you met and so many personalities, I felt like this was a good, like, piece of the game. And this is really when I start like, this is my favorite chapter, or I guess you could say section of the game, and I was like really, really, like once I got the lay of the land down, I was really into this game, because I, I felt like the dialogue got a lot better, there was a bunch of quotes that I wrote down, or just things that I thought was really good, um, the, uh, the characters got a lot more interesting, there was some like dirty, like, remember the police lady that you were trying to get the metal detector from? I was about to say that was like the only, actually, because there may be one or two other sections in this chapter, but I, I thought that exchange was pretty funny. It like it it reminded me of like how Pixar would do like okay, this is like a kids not not saying this game, but like you know it's a kids movie for catered for kids, but then they throw in some some jokes or some type of dialogue that like is kind of like nudging the parent in the rib, you know, like eh eh. And, like, I definitely felt like they had some of that here in this game. Excuse me, in this uh, year of the game, this section of the game. Um, Trying to think of the... uh, There was a lot of, like, running around and, like, 
getting items and making incremental uh, uh, advancements in the story where kind of like what you were saying before, Greg, where it'd be like, oh, like I had to, you know, fill this balloon with this thing and blow up this thing, but I forgot to lock the door. And I felt like this chapter did a better job of separating it. So like it was like a three-step process to get Glottis to get to the boat. And you can mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to do all three at the same time. You had to do one part, then you had to address some other things, then you had to come back and do the second part, address some other things, and come back and do the third part. So I really liked how they broke up, so you could like mainline and just I'm going to do all of Gladys's things now, and then I'm going to do all the worker bee stuff now. You know, you had to go back and forth, and it like kind of deal with the people. And I felt like it did a really good job of immersing you in this world and forcing you to um, get a lay of the land. Yeah, I feel like you didn't. There, it didn't feel like it. Maybe it was like this in the first part, but I just don't remember in the first year. But it, I can't really recall that much. But I want to say that, like in year two, it didn't feel like you had to do things in a particular way, right? You could, you didn't have to do this part first. You could do this. You could go try and get uh, Gladys into the VIP lounge. Yeah, you like, could go about it how you wanted to. Yeah, it's kind of open ended, I guess, to an extent. And I thought the environments and just, like, the characters were really interesting as well, like I said before. Um, I don't know. I, I really, really, really dug this chapter. And I was kind of, like, before we had decided we were going to do this all in one part, like, I went into this chapter and I was, like, kind of feeling a little bit down because um, uh, I didn't really care for the first chapter. When I finished this part, I was like, man, like, if we record an episode right now, I'd be really hopeful going into the second half of this game. (laughs) (laughs) You got anything, Trevor? This level, I think, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. It raised a lot of my hopes for this game. Like, it, the exchanges with the other characters, um, the depth of, like, all of the intertwining story beats. Um, it, was, it was long, but I think it was worth it for this game. Sure, sure. This, um... You wait. You're saying this this section was long. Yeah, this section. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if we had done split this game up into two parts? Like, I'm not saying we don't sound like we're talking all negatively and all that, but like, how more hopeful we would have been going into the second part? Like, I felt like I would have been like, yeah, this first chapter sucks, but this second chapter is awesome, and. Like, I can't wait for the chapter three and chapter four and all that. And, like, now it's like I've seen all of it and I'm kind of like, this is, like, the highlight. Yes. <laughs> as good as it's going to get. Kind of, kind of. Um, yeah. Uh, you got anything else for year three? Or, excuse me, year two? Um, no, I think we pretty much said it. I think everybody, well, I don't know if it was a, more of a, a redeemer for Greg but it was this was an enjoyable section especially with like some of the exchanges with the you know the police officer even the bees man <laughs> yeah the bees trying to get the um the the guy getting his the tattoo um, yeah like all I really liked just... um 
the female the female character Lupe, your coachette girl. For some reason, she sounded like Cree Summers to me, and I had to like I literally went into the casting to see, and it wasn't her, but she sounded so much like her to me. Man, there's another familiar voice like later on. I think it's in year three. And then um, I really like that girl Carla, um, the one that's the security guard. That's like I have to strip search you. That chick, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she was she was funny, and then I I really liked Olivia, the poet uh, lady, because at one point she calls you a chump, and she's like one of the girls that's kind of like going with a couple of she's going with the boss uh, and also some other people. So uh, she was really interesting. Uh, obviously, this is when you get uh, the. VIP, the very inebriated pianist, uh, Glottis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, like, Man, super I forgot drunk. about the, the tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, even the puzzle, like, that was that was one highlight for me where you have to um, decipher all the photographs. Yep. That, that whole line there was, like, the highlight of this game for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, what about you, Greg? Uh, we were going to go on this year two, but did you have anything else you need to say, or how'd you feel about it overall? Was this the highlight for you, or low light, or? I mean, I started warming up to the game a little bit at this point, but it's still like anytime I I did start warming up, I was just kind of brought back to something that just bugged me, like, um, you know, kind of. And these, again, small graves to just add up to things, just how much backtracking you end up having to do. Eventually, it starts to get annoying. Uh, you know, there's times where you might accidentally, well, again, I'm playing on PS4, so some of this might just be that. Like, you'll try to go into uh, a specific area, or you might accidentally go down something. Now you trigger this animation that takes 10 to 15, not 10 to 15 seconds, maybe like five or 10 seconds, but whatever. It's, it's annoying to have to go back and do it again because you accidentally went to the wrong thing. Like stuff like that was just kind of rearing his head. Um, but yeah, I mean it, I did like it more than year two, but I'm still not really feeling it. Or not year two, year one, but. Okay. Um, Oh, and the only other thing that stood out was I think this was the first chapter that you see what sprouting looks like because that yeah. girl gets sprouted and it sucks, but it's like the coolest like looking death. <laughs> like you get shot with this like it, I think in the, the way they do it in the game, it's like a it's like almost like a dart gun, a handheld dart gun like a pistol, and these are all skeletons and they basically they just turn into like they get. Sp- flowers and just other plants that just sprout out of them and then they that's how they die and i don't know it it looks really really cool (laughs) yeah i thought that was a pretty cool concept um to add in this game kind of deepens the lore um so uh so year three so at this point you are going at the end of year two you get all the things the prerequisite things for the captain and so you are able to hop on the boat uh, with Glottis and chase after um, Don and Meche. And about halfway, I guess the beginning of year three, you're about halfway there or really close. And um, you get boarded by these patrol people. And it ends up being like people that work for Hector Lamont. 
and they basically they're going to sprout you guys and so you lock yourselves up into this part of the boat and you end up like ripping the boat in half with like this did you like that it was like a puzzle that you used anchors like putting and raising and lowering anchors to kind of use the anchors to rip your boat in half so then you had the engine side so you could speed off uh what'd you guys think about that puzzle it was pretty cool like uh kind of defies how uh that that would work but uh but it was cool though. i liked it you can't do that on a boat <laughs> pretty sure it won't work like that <laughs> i think this part yeah. this year three is where the puzzles got a lot easier yeah there, there were a lot of points where i wasn't even using the hint site yeah i think so. yeah i'd have to agree to that yeah um and i think this was the first year where you had multiple locations or multiple environments so like in the first game you're in i think it's you're in your little section of el Moro, i want to say um and then in year two you're just in rubik i take that back in year one you're in el Moro and the petrified forest year two you're in rubicava exclusively and then in this this year you're you're um you're first on the boat you do that section and then you're boat sinks and you're underwater and now you're in this uh you meet this character who's the worst character in the game chapito i hate that character the uh, the dude with the light on his head they spent so much time like building into that character and he just he was the worst he didn't do anything i wasn't bothered by him but what it, it was uh, the song. He was a little annoying, but like not. He did like four verses. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they put uh, way too much into that character for him to just not doing do anything. The best way, not the best way, but a way I'm going to describe it is like you watch Finding Nemo, and. Instead of the movie that we know and love, they spend an extra 20 minutes on the Flying Mantis teacher. Yeah. Not Flying Mantis, the Manta Ray teacher. Yeah. Or, like, like, it's just like, why are we focusing on this character that has nothing, like... I, I just, like, he was this old guy that, so, like, his background is, I think he's, I, I'm pretty sure he's a skeleton in a suit, uh, like, a underwater, like, you know, those old submariner, like, Bioshock-style suits, and he has this light on the end of uh, the, the helmet that he uses to see underneath the water, because, you know, you're deep underwater, there's all these creatures, and he, his plan was to walk to the ninth underworld and so he decided he's gonna walk and oh he didn't have a boat it's okay he's just gonna walk across the ocean and so he's been at it for a long ass time walking because he's walking across the bottom of the ocean and you find he you find out the player that he's been walking in circles for the longest time and he doesn't know that but he's like oblivious and doesn't care and, um, I don't know, like, he, his character is just, he sings this little light of mine. 
and he's like I, I'm not exaggerating when I say he sings like three verses, and it every time the character popped up and he pops up in year four as well, it's just like what is he doing here? Why? Like he's not funny. He's not. I don't know. Like. It was a way to solve the section of the game you were in, but I didn't understand why they decided to keep him in after that. Or I guess you would you would rather just him be more, a more likable character. I mean, yeah, like <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like there's what purpose he serves, right? Yeah, he trades you just, two items, I think. Yeah, and, and that's it. But again, he shows up in year four. Oh, well, yeah. And, like, what is he doing here besides, like, making another appearance? I don't know. It's just really, like, I don't know. I, I didn't really like his character at all. Um, but, uh, anyways, you get to this underwater mining plant, and that's when you uncover the scandal that, uh, basically, Domino, um,. <clears throat> it's mining plant is called or it's on the edge of the world um on the edge of this like waterfall or i guess like i guess the earth is flat in this in this world i don't know <laughs> but uh all of the domino's clients who have had their tickets stolen are being held there and used as slave labor so he brought meche there as a trap to lure manny there and um he says, so the, with the slave labor, it makes it profit with the, mar- the coral mining as well as a way to keep Hector's scandal quiet because nobody knows that these people are here. And basically, Domino is here to try to convince Manny to take over his... He lures him to this place to try to convince Manny to take over his position in the plant. And that way, he can spend the rest of his life or eternity with Meche. But he refuses, and uh, basically they uh, get trapped, or he traps them. So you have to like do some more puzzles and stuff like that in order to defeat him. And uh, after you rescue Meche, you fight Manny, and it, you basically knock him into a rock crusher and crush him to death, which is really cool. And... Uh, you guys, Manny with Meche and Glottis, and all the people that have been captured uh, at the plant, they escape the edge of the world, uh, the the mining facility, and then they travel to the gate of the ninth underworld, and that's where this year ends. So, what do you guys think of year three? And besides, you guys already said that the puzzles are. Simpler in this in this uh, year. Is there anything else that stood out? I think the story, I guess, um, kind of progresses a little bit more because you finally meet um, Meche again. Well, yeah. Um, she throws her pantyhose into the trash can and it turns you on. And you and you, and you trade them. You trade them. You part. trade them. For a gun. I remember that. I just didn't remember how I even got him. You trade him for a gun. Oh yeah, like the she's smoking and uh, she you move the ashtray and then she drops the ashes on her pantyhose. So she throws the pantyhose away, and then you take the pantyhose and trade it with, with the weirdo Chapito and he oh, gives yeah, you a gun yeah. for it. 
such a weird. I meant trait. to write down the um, the dialogue between them when when they make that exchange. But somebody, it was either Manny or Chapito that says um, something about being cold, and um, just I don't know. Th- this was just something I was thinking in my head. He was like, "Man, it's cold out here," so he had to get the heater. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see. <laughs> Look at that burner. <laughs> he, needed a, he needed a stronger tool, so he had to get the ratchet. <laughs> um, I forgot, too, how they... I had written down, like, um, something else, but... Uh, I can't remember now. I did write down I'm Chapito, the I'm gonna let it shine song sucks. <laughs> um I don't know, like they, I didn't I liked the puzzles of this chapter or section, but I didn't really care for the environment being underwater and like it kind of you lost the elements of the day of the the, the you know, the the art deco design influences and the land or you know the aztec influences and it was mostly just like oh well here are these skeleton people underwater and this vaguely noir but mostly just like this unique environment like i thought the environment was cool but it just doesn't seem like it comes from the same game even the fact that they have like that weird squid creature that gets into the boat or into the submarine and it's kind of more like that's to me, that's more of a like a what do you call it a steampunk influence than like any of the influence they had prior to this. So it kind of just seemed a little like a little bit like, what is this doing here? Now that I think about it, um, I feel like the setting for each one of these years is like there's enough variation in between them, right? Or am I the only one that kind of feels like that? Like you know, it doesn't feel super samey going from between year to year. Definitely, yeah. Like he's wearing a different costume. He's like a completely different character almost. But what about it? Uh, no, I was just just kind of saying that as like a, one of the positives. I guess one of the things that I kind of respect about the game. Yeah. Like it's you know they at least thought that out to be like we're not going to just kind of follow the same theme throughout the entire entire game. I guess. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you guys got anything else for year three? I wish there were more characters in year three. It, I don't know, it seemed like... It seemed you shorter. the kids. Yeah, and that was who I was thinking, like, the voice actor um, was familiar for the boy. Uh-huh. Uh, but I can't... Miss I don't know some cartoon show? Name. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I mean... Yeah, I I could see that. I could see that being in like an episode of Rugrats or maybe even like later, like what Fairly Odd Parents or Jimmy Neutron or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, well, final chapter or final section is Year Four, so you're right outside the Ninth Underworld Gate. And there's the gatekeeper who won't let any souls progress without their tickets, which he mistakenly believes they have sold them. And it's further revealed that the 
wicked soul or that the person that should have the ticket has neither paid off their debt or tried to cheat to gain interest and it basically transformed the train into a hell train which sends all the souls on board to hell so that's like the worst thing where you go from being in limbo thinking you know going to being in limbo and then thinking like okay i'm about to go to heaven quote unquote and you find out that oh your tickets that you thought you had they're not actually there and oh it must be your fault the reason why it's not there now go to hell take this l and um so that yeah that really sucks um uh Claudius has something where he gets really sick, and you learn that the only way for Glottis to revive, because he's a speed demon, is to help him travel at high speeds. Uh-huh. To kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 to restore his purpose for being summoned. So you guys devise like a makeshift fuel source to create a rocket train cart, and you quickly ride the train tracks back to Rubicava. And, um, because your vehicle, I forgot the name of the vehicle is there. The bone wagon, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Um, and so now you guys get to Rubicava and you basically, your Don, uh, no, not Don, uh, Domingo had booby trapped your car with a bunch of dominoes haha, and <laughs> dynamite or TNT. So if you take f- step foot into the garage it would blow your car up so then there's the puzzle of trying not puzzle but the you basically have to go around rubicava and figure out how to disarm this trap to be able to take your your uh car to el Moro. and you do it and you get to el Moro. and at this point you find that hecker's in full control and has renamed it nuevo mara uh maro excuse me and um you basically regroup with Sal and the rest of the LSA, who the entire game, they've been, like, sending messages to you with these, like, carrier pigeon-style creatures. So I know we haven't really touched on them, but they're there's been some, like, stuff going on between them as well. Um, just a second. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh... Oh, yeah, and Olivia, the, the poet girl, uh, she had volunteered to help. Stop, stop. Um, to help you guys at Rubicava, and basically is able to learn about Hector's current activities because she's kind of in with Hector. Um, and then you find out further investigation, further uncovering that uh, Hector has not only been hoarding the number nine tickets, but he has created counterfeit versions that he has sold to others. So not only is he keeping all of this stuff for himself, he's also making money off fake versions. Uh, and, uh, Manny tries to confront Hector, but basically gets lured into a trap by Olivia, which is the, have you got, have either of you guys got to this point? Cause you guys didn't finish this section right no i had just gotten to um elmara yeah and i hadn't got to that point where were you where'd you get to Greg? did you do like the to... beginning of like oh so you didn't even get to rubicaba yeah. no okay yeah so i was gonna say the other thing too uh this is i'm not finished talking about it but this is my second favorite 
section of the game, I guess you could say. So year two and year four are my two favorite. And this one also, Trevor, like if you are to finish this, has a lot of noir elements in it too. I feel like chapter two and four are the most successful chapters for me, or sections for me, but also they probably have the most amount of noir elements that you're looking for. Um, but yeah, uh, Olivia basically double crosses you and she had also captured Sal and basically beheaded him. So she just has his head in the backseat of her car and, uh, she buried his body somewhere and basically takes you to Hector's greenhouse to be sprouted. And, uh, uh, she sends you on your way and... You're able to defeat Hector after Sal sacrifices himself to prevent Olivia from interfering. And basically Manny and Meche are able to find the real double-end tickets, including the one that she should have received. And Manny makes sure the rest of the tickets are given to the rightful owners. And because he did that, he's able to um, redeem himself and like repay his debt. So he's granted his own ticket for his good deeds and together they bore the number nine for their happy journey to the land of the eternal rest and Gladys who can't join them tearfully waves goodbye to them and basically says I'll never forget you guys and that's how the game ends so I guess since I took played the majority of chapter or this section I will say that the Rubicava section was pretty short it's probably the shortest section in the game because a lot of it is blocked. Like we all remember Rubicaba as being this humongous, like sprawling place, and they block off a lot of it uh, this t- the second time you're there. So it's pretty straightforward what you have to do. And then the um, the uh, section in Nueva Mara is pretty cool. Um, there's uh, some new characters that they introduce. Not anything, not anybody like super, super major, but um, there's some new things that they introduce. And uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty strong chapter. And overall, like, like I said, it's probably my second favorite chapter in the game. And I think this is the one that has the most amount of noir elements, if that's what you're in this game for. And it has a good. Uh, end section of the game, I guess you could say. I, I really like the puzzles that you have to do in this chapter. Um, so I definitely recommend, if you guys are down to do it, I do recommend that you guys finish it. Just to get that payoff, since you're so close anyway. Especially you, Trevor, since you're so close anyways. Yeah, I plan on finishing it, for sure. <clears throat> but yeah, Sal- Salvador took Olivia out like a G. I had that written down. Um... Uh, I forgot. I don't know. There, there was obviously some more good dialogue in this section as well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really did like this section as well, this chapter. So I don't really have anything else to say. Um, you guys got anything that you guys got to say about what you did play from year four? Nah, never, not for. Like, <laughs> I was honest. I'm, I'm assuming you're not playing this game again, Greg. You're not even gonna finish it. For, I mean, I might do it just to say I did, but like, I, I don't, I don't have get that trophy, dog. <laughs> I mean, you're right. I could do that. 
like no, we both... I, I wasn't expecting to to revisit places in in chapter four. So going back to Rubicava, especially with it being so short, uh, they they could have built nah. out built out um, the the gate where they first go um, in chapter uh-huh. four. They could have built it out a little bit more and, and added that puzzle in there. I don't know. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, they, I, kind of what you. I mean, kind of what you said. There really isn't a point for them to go back there because they have. Like I'm, I'm serious. Where they probably have like eighty percent of the level blocked off. Yeah, where you, you can't, can't even use the elevator. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then like nobody is there. Like the, if you go to the spot where the bees are, they're not there. If you go to like a lot, like if you go inside the blue casket, nobody's in there. So it, it's just kind of like a dead town. So you're literally get in, get out, get gone. And especially since you don't revisit any areas. Or revisit any other areas in in the other chapters. Well, you you do you um. It's funny because so one of the things that you do in this game, or uh, in this in this section is you need to get to Hector, and so you're wearing a disguise, um, and you are outside his office, and there is a couple waiting there that are trying to debate the pros and cons of taking his deal and going to the I guess they're kind of money stripped or strapped I guess you could say so they're trying to say like should we do this thing or should we not or blah 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 how should we travel to the land of eternal rest right and so you convince them to do it and then they're like when they finally have their meeting with him he's like yeah you know like oh yeah we talked to your uh, your sales rep or salesperson and he convinced us, so we're going to do it. And he's like, excellent. Yeah, uh, he's our best salesperson. And then after the meeting, he's like, yo, man, what's your deal? Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then that's kind of where you reveal who you are and you give chase to him. And you chase him. Uh, I'm sorry, you don't even chase him. You haven't revealed who you are. He takes you and he's like, yeah, you can be one of my guys on the street. I'll, I'll take you. You can get an office and everything. He takes you to your old office. And then from there, um, you reveal who you are, and he gives chase, and you chase him up to the rooftop that you start, you know, that rooftop with the birds? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, you, uh, you're at, you're there now, <laughs> and, like, you have to get a, like, he, he goes to the other rooftop, he doesn't chase him to the other rooftop, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, like, you, you do see some of your old haunts, I guess you could say, in a stripped-down capacity, but... I don't know. I, I think it's kind of cool that it comes f- full circle where you're like, he's none the wiser that you are who you are. And he basically t- and unknowingly takes you to your office and says, yeah, you can work here if you like. <laughs> and, you know, he's trying to sell you on how great of a position it is and everything. And then you're, you're like, in the back of your mind, you're like, man, I already know this thing sucks. What are you talking about? <laughs> so I thought that was kind of kind of cool. And I don't, I don't know, like, I, I think, I, I do think you will have a little bit better things to say about the noir elements once you finish out the game and kind of see it, so. Um, do you guys got anything else for this section? I guess not. Um, so overall, how are you guys feeling about this game? Um... I'm I'm really trying to I feel bad right because as as his um his current name right now 
says <laughs> this game sucks. <laughs> like, I feel bad because this game is, like, so revered and people just speak so highly of it. And it's one of those weird feelings where it's just like, I wish I could see it the way that other people see it. You know, so I could get that enjoyment, but it just, I mean, it's just, I just don't get it. I, I just don't. <laughs> um, what about you, Trevor? Um, I like this game. I mean, I've played several um, adventure games like this, and it's it's right up that same alley. Um, like I said, the first year was a little bit rocky because... It just throws a bunch of items at you without telling you how to utilize them, how to experiment. Um, and it gets a little bit easier later on. But overall, it's, it's a fun PC game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have to put that um, that classification in front of it. This is a, definitely a PC game. Sure. Um, for me... It was interesting. Like, I have a hard time trying to decide my ultimately what my feelings are for this game. Because in some regards, I'm kind of like Greg. And I'm like, I don't see why this game is considered as good of a game as it is. But was it, though? Because didn't you say, like, it didn't sell well? It didn't sell well. It didn't sell well. But it received huge critical acclaim. Like I said, um, I mean, meta, it has a 94 on Metacritic. Um, it's, uh, let's see, it won Best Adventure of the Game of the Year by IGN. PC Gamer had an Adventure Game of the Year. CNET had a the Best Adventure Game. Uh, GameSpot had a PC Game of the Year, Adventure Game of the Year, Best PC Music, Best PC Graphics, Best Game. Like, like it, it won a lot of awards. Um, and I, I just like, I mean, and even still like it's, it, a lot of publications also included in its rankings as one of the X greatest games of all time, you know, like whatever number it's usually on the list. And me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm playing it and I'm just like, man, like I don't feel that way about this game, but I also don't have the necessary background to compare it to so like if somebody were to say like what's the best adventure game i have no idea but if somebody said grim uh, Grim fandango is i surely don't want to play any of the other ones (laughs) like (laughs) because i'm like i've played the best of the best and i kind of struggled with it or you know like i had these issues with it i don't want to play something that's lesser than that because like how like it could my experience could be fundamentally even worse, you know? But I do appreciate what this game did for video games. Like like I said, like it spawned an entirely new uh, gaming engine. It was the first in a couple, like the first game or adventure game to have the 3D uh, uh, computer animation. It was the first computer game that had... Uh, use the scripting language Lua. So, uh, it, it spun off and spawned, um, Telltale, which is one of, I'm assuming one of your favorite studios. And it's spun off and spawned double fine, which is one of my favorite studios. Uh, so like I can understand. 
What? Telltale? Oh, my bad. <laughs> I'm pouring one out for you. <laughs> Pour out some tequila for you. <laughs> but, um, like, I really like the themes in this game. I Like, we kind of had the discussion earlier, but I think they nailed it as far as hitting the Aztec, the noir, and then just the Art Deco style that they were trying to do. I think it's like a, I don't want to say perfect, but it's a great mashup of the three, where these three things are completely unrelated. And, like, I see all those influences in in this game, and I really dug it. And I don't know, like, all the non-gameplay elements, I really like the voice acting. I really like how they, like I said, how they had the Spanglish. And I, I just really, really dug a lot about this game and just the actual playing the game like I didn't really care for as much like I like I like and I even still like even still having said that I dug year two and year four so ultimately I'm like this is this is a good game I just don't know if like I would want to play another game like this you know I'd rather play a more modern adventure game at this point totally <laughs> um so i actually yeah so would this be the bottom of your list of every game we've ever played greg i mean it's neck and neck with like brothers maybe or something like that. <laughs> hang on now is it neck and neck with brothers on your list too trevor <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's not that high but um, I mean it's pretty high on the list of games we played for 2019. Sure, I mean, we, yeah, <laughs> all three of them. <laughs> can I can I tell you something too? It felt really weird playing this game, especially uh, you can relate to this, Trevor. Especially after the two previous games we just played, because I felt like it was like a it was like right in the middle between Doki Doki and um, uh, Psychonauts. Like, as far as gameplay? Not gameplay, just, like, overall feel. Like, Doki Doki, you're not really playing anything. There's just a story on, uh, evolving in front of you. There's more, obviously more gameplay and dialogue and, you know, voice acting in Psychonauts. So it kind of felt like it took out a lot of the control you had in Psychonauts, but it kept the voice acting and everything. And then it was, so it, it seemed like it was like a really, it, for me, it was a really weird game to play after playing those two, because it was like, dang, like, this is kind of like taking a little bit from both of those games. A little bit to me, you know. Um, maybe I'm reaching. It sounds like I'm reaching. <laughs> I don't know, it's hard to compare it to those games, because... Sure, sure. Technological leaps and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 Ultimately, I'm, like, on the side of you should, like, people should play this game. But I'm not going to be at the front of the line saying, this is a great game and everybody say, has I'm to play it. I'm not forcing anybody to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> it's an acquired taste. Yeah. Like, oh, wait okay. until you leave the building and you got to walk across the street. <laughs> You're going to love it. <laughs> Don't forget to double click. <laughs> oh, you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's like really like the like that that 
properly sums up this game, Trevor. It's like, oh, if you can get, if you can figure out how to sprint within the first ten minutes, you're gonna be all right. But if you can't figure that out, you don't even keep playing this game. <laughs> if you're not here to experiment and to try things out, you won't like this game. Um. So, anything else for Grim Fandango? Are you at least glad you played it, Greg? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to say that I finally experienced it because it was one of the games that I had been meaning to play just because I had heard so much about it. And, I mean, I probably wouldn't have got around to it if it wasn't for the podcast. So I'm I'm thankful for that. But uh, it definitely wasn't what I was expecting at all. I will say this is, I mean, you probably can agree, this is my least favorite old game that we've played. Yeah, totally. And I like, and I don't. I actually hadn't been hearing people like were people literally telling you or talking to you about the game or just every podcast. Okay, I okay. To, it was one of the the games where they were like, "Oh man, it's so good." It's, you know. Yeah, because I I was thinking like, man, like I don't know anybody that probably has played this game because I'm assuming most people that I know are like a lot of people. My friends are, are about my age group, so. This game was like eight when I was, you know, when it came out, and I wasn't a PC. I wasn't playing PC games back then. I was a console gamer, so I had like one friend that might have said something about it to me, like in middle school. But I mean, I can't even remember. But he was playing PC games around that time, so I wouldn't have been surprised. And, yeah, it, it wasn't until I was on Facebook saying, "Yo, we're about to start up Grim Fandango," or I just fit, and somebody said, "Oh, that game's a classic." That was the first time I ever heard anybody that I knew talk about the game. <laughs> It was just like, oh, okay, cool. I'm glad somebody has played this. So, I don't know. I, I, I think it is, personally, I think it is worth checking out. Uh, it is an acquired taste, though, so it may not be for everybody. But uh, you got anything, Trevor? I think that about sums it up for me. <laughs> okay. I, I'm I'm going to finish it, but I'm okay. not going to force anybody else to finish it. Gotcha, gotcha. Um. Are you like one for two of the games that you didn't have done at the end of the episode? By the time we did the second podcast, that you went actually went back and finished because you did finish Advance Wars, but you did finish Phoenix Wright. I finished Phoenix Wright. Um, I still haven't finished Doom yet. Oh dang! Yeah. Um, you. I want to finish Doom. <laughs> have you even played it? No. I, mean, I haven't even turned my console <laughs> on. I think I played Trials for a little bit, but then like the Why? Trials Rising, the new game. Why, man? I forgot you like Trials. Yeah, man, it's my game. It's like one of those. I hate Trials. <laughs> it's like one of those therapeutic games you play. Oh, that game stresses me out so much. So good. Uh. <laughs> um. Well, uh. I have a question since Dante's not here. And then we'll go out. I, mean, I know we don't got no emails. We can just forget emails. <laughs> F emails. Um, so what movie theme would you like to play in an adventure game? So, like, not necessarily genre, but, like, some type of, like, theme that you see a lot in movies. So, like, a superhero or, like, a, uh, a prison or a heist or... Um, I don't know, like like that. So I know for me, I think I would want to do like a like a nineteen fifties like monster, like 
movie, you know, like a, like a, the, not the thing, the, like the Iron Giant, you know how, like that kind of theme, where it's like, techno, like, there's the Cold War scare, you know, so like the whole, like, hey, if there's a nuclear bomb coming, kids hide underneath your desk, that'll keep you safe, and like, I would like to play an adventure game in that kind of setting, or like, what's that other, that movie that came out, the J.J. Abrams movie? Um, the train crashed and they had that. Yeah. It was carrying that creature. What's it called? Um, Super Super Eight. Eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like a, 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 I'd play an adventure game in that kind of setting. I think that could be really cool. Even if you don't see the, there would be a lot of mystery, and like, I don't know. It's like you don't even necessarily have to play as a kid or anything like that. But that that could be cool, you know. For me, I think I've used this answer on a previous question. It may have been like, no, it may have been something else, but I would probably pick the Wiz, <laughs> just because I've never. I'm, I'm I'm curious to see how a musical in an adventure game would play out, and then I could totally see you having to like, like you're trying to help out the Tin Man. And you're you're doing all this stuff to to find the oil can and you got to get a bandaid to the crow <laughs> and the crow. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could totally see it as an adventure game. I feel like they that like that not saying that idea, but like that kind of is like similar, like maybe even like Alice in Wonderland style. Like I feel like that that would be something that has already probably happened with Alice in Wonderland over like the Wiz. Or like Wizard of Oz, so I feel like that's like the go-to like overused fantasy thing that people do. Probably. What about you, Greg? I'm trying to think, and like the only things I I would pick, I mean these are like kind of cop outs because they've already been done to an extent. Would be like, um, kind of like um. A bank heist type thing, like maybe heatish. I guess something like heat, you know. But I feel like that's what the Kane and Lynch game was anyway. So it's kind of like, all right, well, that's already oh, been so done. So you want to play Tales from the Borderlands? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, sort of, or or a uh, um, kind of like a, uh, uh, I guess, kind of like stealing a car. But then it's like. Gone in sixty seconds, but I feel like a like a Need for Speed game has already done that. The run, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like I mean they've already been done, but those are the two that I could think of. The only other one I could think of, like both of mine are like as time periods that I would like to see in games more would be like the nineteen tens, uh, like when people were like in Egypt uncovering, uh, you know, like the 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 mummies and the the pyramids and all that stuff. Like, I think that would be another cool like time to maybe have an adventure game set in like like Indiana Jones esque. I guess you could say. So maybe there is like maybe the Indiana Jones is uh, Lego game is like that or something. I don't know. Cool. Well, I think that that is it. Uh, where can people find you at, Trevor? You can find me on the internets at Lyric Unsung. Okay. Uh, have you streaming anything lately, or are you planning um, on streaming anything? Man, my backlog is getting longer and longer. Um, hopefully, I will be streaming again this summer. 
once I'm done taking this class. But yeah, I've got some interesting projects that I'm going to be working on. So um, that'll probably be something that you'll see on on Twitter or Instagram. Okay. Um, what about you, Greg? Uh, you guys can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Boombox Hero. And on Twitch at twitch.tv slash xdrdmagnegro. X, uh, mostly stream Street Fighter. Uh, every now and then I'll play something different, but, uh, yeah. Okay, and you guys can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Potato Salad. Um, I think that's it. Uh, so me and Trevor, um, wrapped up our Doki Doki Literature Club bonus podcast, but there's some technical difficulties that we've had, so it's still up right now, right, Trevor? Yeah, it's still up. I haven't taken it down. Are you... You said what? Um, I basically got to replace the episode so it can be re-uploaded. <clears throat> okay. So, yeah, we had a little bit of audio mishap uh, in the beginning of that episode that he is looking into tw- uh, fixing, so hopefully... That will happen shortly, so that way we can get that one back up in a properly listenable state. Um, and we also have one in the works. Uh, I just beat the game last night. Trevor is going to probably beat it. He's going to maybe try tomorrow. to beat it this ne- tomorrow. <laughs> it's a pretty short game, uh, but uh, we'll try to have that up maybe in the next week or two. Because, um, like I said, I want to try to put up six bonus cast this year if possible just to try to double our output triple our output from last year so uh we're we're trying to catch up so um be on the lookout for that and then for the next month it is greg's month and greg what game are we playing first so i'm gonna just say hellblade because that seems like it'd be a nice change from uh what we've played for the last couple times (laughs) We'll go with that one first. Alright, so you heard it here first. We're going to be playing Hellblade Sinua's Sacrifice. That's going to be the first game we play. And that will be uh, just to completion. And I guess maybe we can try to get that episode up in two weeks, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. And then uh, the next the next one will be Celeste. And we may potentially have a little bit change of pace for that, so stay tuned. We may have uh, some things going for that one in the works. So, uh, do you guys got anything else you need to say? All right. Well, we're missed checkpoints, and we're out. Peace. Peace.